We are live this time, this day, Thursday, themed for our topics, topic discussion, church discipline, a tragic neglect. The article title from our friends over at ChristianCourier.com. We'll be going through the article, you and I together, sharing our thoughts, of course, and uh, seeking insight, wisdom into the topical uh, interaction that we seek to cultivate in regards to church discipline, a tragic neglect. Church discipline. Stefan Maia is my name. AddedSouls.com is the website. This is the Early Bird Podcast Sessions. Please consider subscribing to the channel, liking, giving a rumble, you know, comments, give a comment, share the link far and wide, interact with the content, the material, if you find substance therein that would benefit your spiritual walk on this earth as Christians seeking to be faithful. Please consider supporting the work. We uh, navigate through the progress of the Added Souls ministry through your faith, your compassion, your willingness to partake in this good work. You can sign up to uh, addedsouls.locals.com. It's free to sign up, and from there you can choose to support monthly. No amount is too small, no amount is too large, and you will have, of course, exclusive content being produced there for all who partake in the good work of the Edit Souls ministry. Of course, through the Maya family, me, my wife, my children, and the good work we are doing in this mission field over here with the East Coast Church of Christ. You can find us on our .com, eastcoastchurchofchrist.com, or on Facebook, East Coast Church of Christ, to which I upload my uh, weekly sermons and, and whatnots. Pretty good? Is that okay? All right, so church discipline, a tragic neglect. We're going to read from our brother Wayne Jackson. May he rest in peace. He has gone on to his reward, but has left a body of uh, work that stems for years, writing articles and books and all these wonderful things that uh, he... Um, created through God's good grace while he was on this earth working for our Lord and Master and his kingdom. I don't necessarily agree with everything our brother Wayne may have said or written regarding things of things that would pertain to academic pursuits or matters of one's personal scruples or opinions and judgments, uh, things like that. But I assure you, we are of the common salvation when it comes to the plan of salvation, the uniqueness of the church, and uh, the pattern in which we are commanded to worship God, and good Christian conduct, and things, of course, that we are commanded to be united on. So you can check out ChristianCourier.com if you are seeking, of course, good material, good gospel material to uh, help you um, learn the scriptures in an expedient way. Okay? Church discipline, a tragic neglect. I begin to read, it says, A study of church discipline, especially the ultimate act of withdrawal of fellowship, right? Yeah, that's what we're speaking about. And of course, listen, church discipline, sadly, before we get into the article there further, church discipline is uh, in the church. Um, listen, if you've been in the church for a while, you know it's not been properly utilized, right? You may, as a faithful child of God, well-versed, rightly handled, so have witnessed that more so than the not, uh, when it comes to church discipline, it's just not properly utilized. It's often more so, if you will, hijacked <laughs> by those uh, too far on one end or 
the other. And for instance, um, you know, if you, again, if you've been in the church for a while, um, spe- especially ministers, especially if you are one who is very active as a minister, you know, a preacher or elder or um, in leadership roles um, with hands-on practice, if you will, uh, we've witnessed uh, the self-righteous hypocrites, right? The tyrants, the bullies, the diatrophies, the pharisaical, the manipulators, the liars, the slanderers, the false witnesses, and so on and so on. Uh, the delinquencies uh, that are rebuked by the Holy Spirit. And um, we, we've seen them utilize verses in the Bible about church discipline against those that they had an agenda uh, uh, to, to push them out of the church and um, to create splits and division and, and, and so on, all the chaos that comes when these uh, corrupted uh, brethren uh, utilize church discipline to their own selfish ambitions and desires. And uh, we've witnessed that. We saw the damage that can be done by these types. And of course, these types will masquerade uh, their very divisive ways in utilizing uh, hijacked verses, if you will, for discipline uh, to, to their own end. And uh, the damage that is done, of course, is eternally has eternal consequence. We, we, we've seen these types, and they masquerade as, as angels of light. They will, of course, um, charm you in, in a very intimidating way to uh, believe they are righteous in, in, in uh, pushing people out uh, that would uh, cause uh, a hindrance in their agenda. And it, it, at times it's greed or control. Uh, these types are egotistical maniacs most times, and they are, of course, psychological manipulators at times. They will gaslight, they will project, they will have you question your own sanity. That's how corrupted they are. But the facts, the evidence, and uh, the lineage of things that you put together in witnessing how they came about to hijack versus uh, that speak about church discipline to their own end. You, you can see the pattern for anyone who is honest and sincere uh, can see the evidence and be able to discern, oh, you know, this is what's happened. These individuals who are corrupt and had an agenda and have manipulated uh, many, they utilize these verses for their own, for their own end, their own gain, their own bellies, if you will. And of course, the scriptures are very clear when these kinds exist uh, or are in the leadership role of a congregation that you are to uh, withdraw yourself from from such uh, um, from such darkness, if you will, evil workers and things like that. Well, we've we've witnessed that in the church. Sadly, it is a devastating, sorrowful, most uh, how should I say, painful experience to witness. And some of us, sadly, have not recovered. Some of us grow bitter and 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 venture. Uh, bitter and, and uh, hateful and all those things uh, because of these actions. So there, there's, a, there's a grand consequence to, to these types who utilize verses about church discipline for their own manipulative ways. Um, and on the, on the pendulum swing, if you will, now we swing the pendulum on the other end. You've witnessed, we have witnessed the cowardly leaderships who do not practice church discipline when it is necessary and God commands it. When we allow a little leaven to leaven the whole lump, when we have ourselves uh, with weak faith and blind spots, we, we allow 
sinful things to continue with a high-handed rebellion in the church, and we, of course, in cowardly manner, do not do what we should be doing. We've witnessed that as well, and we've seen the damage that can take place with allowing such things. And that is very tempting in locations in which mission takes place, in locations where it's very difficult to grow the church. We tend to, if you will, go, pa- go beyond the uh, long-suffering, go beyond being patient, go beyond those moments into the realm of just cowardice and not wanting to push anyone away. Well, now you have yourself a congregation filled with delinquencies, filled with corruption, filled with those who become these diatrophic, pharisaical tyrants, these bullies, these intimidators, these who... Uh, unrighteously seek confrontation and seek to be uh, divisive and, and um, quarrelsome and all this. And these types, they are uh, 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 well-versed manipulators. They'll be able to take the verses that rebuke pharisaical types and diatrophies and quarrelsome and divisive. They'll, they'll be able to take that verse and have you charmed into their intimidation and the way they wrongly handle the text and the words they put together, having you believe that they are righteous and what they are doing is righteousness. And uh, you got to be careful about that. You have to be strong and independent to recognize that. But when member, when leadership is cowardly to practice righteous and faithful church discipline, it allows the leavening of the whole lump. And it can be from these types to sinful actions, uh, all other sinful actions and beliefs, uh, to just sadly in, in, infest, infect, and mold the congregation to a point where they lose their light and they no longer belong to Jesus Christ. Though they may have the sign outside that says this church belongs to Jesus, the church of Christ or whatever, uh, you walk in there and uh, it's, it's just a masquerade. You know, you stay there long enough, you'll, you'll start to see past the whipped cream and you'll find yourself in a cow patty uh, and it, it starts to stink. And, and um, uh, that's just the reality of our existence as Christians in the local assembly when things aren't done according to God's will. And that indeed are the two extremes, the two pendulum swings, if you will, that we've witnessed. If you've been in the church long enough, you know, uh, it's just, it's sad. And it breaks up uh, families and congregations and friendships and all that kind of stuff. But uh, what are you going to do? It's not God's fault. It's not uh, the fault of the institution, his bride. It is a perfect institution. We don't blame the marriage when divorce occurs, though the world does that, don't they? They say, well, it's the it's marriage's fault. You should have never gotten married, and then you wouldn't have been divorced. Well, it's not the problem. The problem's not the, inst- uh, the boundaries and the law of marriage. The problem is one of the individuals or both spouse uh, cho- choose to be corrupted and practice uh, uh, all sorts of unrighteous things towards each other. It, well, it's the same with the local assembly. When you are a member of a local assembly, you are submissive to your elders. You are submissive to one another. You are under the uh, uh, accountability of the leadership. And, um, you know, if, if, if things happen where church discipline is hijacked, these verses are hijacked and applied to, again, either... Uh, the Pharisee type, the Diotrephes type, or the cowardly type, the one who is not uh, uh, doing what he is supposed to on both ends, well, you know, it's not the church's fault. It's not our Lord's fault. It's people, and people do sinful things because their heart's not right. Their heart's not right. 
And these types, you know, they'll preach and teach on being humble, but they are the furthest thing from being humble. And anyone who is an honest student of the scriptures, who's had the wisdom to discern, can know these types and, and spot them out. These types will speak about all the things they themselves are guilty about. And uh, they, they hijack these verses and make a mess. And so we, in one end, one extreme dis discourages the other extreme. What do I mean? Well, when the high-handed type, you know, the heavy-handed diotrophies pharisaical type who hijack church discipline verses for their own agenda to push out those who might expose their hypocrisy, who, who might uh, cause a threat to their control of everything, you know, and that kind of thing. Well, those types, they encourage the cowards to remain cowards because the coward will say, I don't want to practice church discipline because I've seen it through the hands of a Pharisee. And the Pharisee might say, well, I'm going to practice church discipline on everyone and anything that disagrees with me or my academic pursuits or my scruples or my opinions or matters of conscience. Why? Well, because I don't want to allow the cowardly to take over or I don't want to uh, uh, have anything that would, uh, you know, threaten these diatrophies type, these, these, these uh, tyrants, these bullies, if you will. So both of them feed each other in the direction they've gone. And that is not that is not balanced. That is not righteous. That is not faithful. That is not seasoned. That is not humble. That is not poor in spirit. That is not according to the way of our Lord and Master. But at times, that's what happens. You know, you have yourself a very bad, traumatic experience in the church at the hands of either the cowardly or the pharisaical, and you blame the church and you withdraw yourself from the Lord's church. Well, don't do that. It's not the Lord's church fault. Now, you may need to withdraw yourself from a congregation that has fallen, that has become corrupt, and that Christ is no longer found there. I, I've, we've witnessed that. We know what that looks like when it is uh, hijacked, when it is taken over uh, by, the, by either the cowardly or uh, the, the pharisaical type. But, you know, it, it, these are experiences uh, that are true and real and damaging in the church. And it's because, well, we don't want to do what God says, you know? You cannot bow down to a tyrant who is accusing you of, uh, of very severe, very severe uh, accusations and sins. You can't bow down and just say, okay, you're right, fine. Nor, if you are guilty, should you remove yourself from repentance. And a great many times, from one end to the other, the pharisaical to the cowardly and everything in between, to which at times most certainly Pharisees are cowardly and the cowardly are pharisaical and all these things. Context, of course, and case per case. But we have to kind of remove ourselves from that. And the beauty, of course, of our Lord and Master in His church and the perfection of His institution, His bride, is the autonomy. It is autonomous. You know, so... That gives us hope and peace away from these two delinquencies that at times, most often than not, uh, have taken over local congregations. We want to kind of take a look at a seasoned, balanced, faithful church discipline and how the scriptures, of course, would reveal how that operates. And that's how we want to be uh, moving forward in practicing church discipline, because church discipline is a Bible truth.
It is a Bible command. It is a reality. It can be seen by God from Genesis to Revelation. There is utility and ben- spiritual, uh, spiritually beneficial uh, paths forward in growth and producing fruit, fruit when we faithfully practice discipline. And that's just what it is. So let's, let's go to the article here uh, and, and we'll get reading uh, to see what's going on and we'll have ourselves conversation along those lines. Is that okay? That good? All right. All right. Church discipline, a tragic neglect from our friends over at ChristianCareer.com, our brother Wayne Jackson, may he rest in peace. A study of church discipline, especially the ultimate act of withdrawal of fellowship. It is difficult to imagine, he says, what it would be like to live in a society where citizens could flaunt the rules and absolutely no consequences would follow. No fines, no imprisonment, etc. <laughs> you know, pretty much close to what we're seeing now in our sociopolitical landscape in the fallen Western world, this broken nation where we're almost there. We're, we're, we're kind of getting that illustration very well, Brother Wayne how that would look like. But we, you and I, if we are level-headed, can certainly understand what he's saying. It would be chaos, wouldn't it? Can you conceive of a home environment, he says in the article, where the children are allowed to do whatever they please with utterly no discipline imposed? We're seeing what's happening, don't we? <laughs> we're, we're seeing what, what the fruits of that kind of a world looks like. Well, it's total chaos. Total chaos would reign in either of these instances, whether it be socio-political uh, within the realm of uh, political uh, influence and public life, or within the own your own household. You know, within your own household with husband and wife and children, uh, there needs to be discipline at, at all in all locations. And and listen, the unbelievers know this: the heathen, the pagan, the Gentile, the Greek. In my past life as a Gentile who would live a life and practice things that the pagans would, the heathens would, the worldview of extreme sinful activity, we still knew the boundary of discipline within our realm. In uh, organized crime and the many things that we were participating in, me, myself, as a superior, a boss in my district, and having men underneath me, uh, while we were participating in, in, in these uh, criminal activities, which were organized, there had to be discipline. And I assure you, our discipline was very strict. Very strict. If I would not enforce discipline upon my, uh, my fold, if you will, in my court, um, it would have been chaos. And it would not have generated what we were in it for, which is greed, making money, having power and control. The world knows this, and it's sad that if even the heathen can understand discipline, why would not the Christian, for the righteous reason, practice discipline? Okay, a bit of my thoughts there. Back to the article. Wayne says, Yet there are countless congregations belonging to Jesus Christ across our land where little, if any, discipline of the wayward is ever enacted. Is it any wonder that our brotherhood is weaker today than it has been in decades, right? Exactly what is church discipline, the article would ask. 
In its broadest sense, he says, it involves everything from the most basic instruction that the newborn child of God receives from the time of his or her conversion onward, all the way to the radical, quote, surgery sometimes required in the withholding of fellowship from impenitent apostates. For the purpose of this study, we are speaking solely of that terminal act, okay? The church's obligation to withdraw its fellowship from those who cannot be reached with more moderate approaches. New Testament authority for discipline. The article continues. Every serious Bible student knows that there is ample authority for the practice of church discipline. I mean, even if you are a novice to the text and you are having a surface reading, you will encounter a great many times church discipline. Okay, it just is what it is. Consider the following samples of New Testament evidence. He says here, Jesus taught that one who has wronged his brother and who cannot be persuaded to repent, either by the offended party, other independent witnesses, or the church in general, should be treated as, quote, the Gentile and the publican. This here authorized in Matthew chapter 18, verse 17. In the context of a first century setting, this means that the church was to have no social contact with hardened offenders. Hardened offenders. And of course, from our experience, that can come from one side or the other. From those who would recognize that the leadership and the direction of a congregation has become corrupted by these diatrophic pharisaical types, these psychological manipulators, these divisive individuals in which we must practice from righteousness, from faithfulness, and withdraw ourselves from such a location. In these instances, that can be recognized by these unrighteous uh, delinquencies, and they will seek to push out the faithful. But in an independent or collective way, of course, the principle and commands apply. The article continues and says, Paul instructed the saints in Rome to be on the lookout for those, quote, who are causing the divisions and occasions of stumbling contrary to the doctrine, end quote. He declared that the faithful should, quote, turn away from the self-serving egotists who were deceiving the innocent, Romans 16, 17. And I assure you, they are well and alive in local congregations. And we must not be weak in our faith. We must have a, uh, some insight, some wisdom to recognize the red flag, the many red flags that come from these types. You know, at the very moment, these types tell you that you will be condemned if you do not agree with them regarding matters of academic pursuit or matters of scruple or conscience. They are the tyrant, and you must withdraw from them immediately. These types can infect a congregation in such a way that you will be left devastated. And sadly, many only wake up to the consequence once the damage has been done. So yeah, that is most certainly a wise Bible verse for us to look into and to apply. The article continues. The entire fifth chapter of 1 Corinthians deals with the matter of discipline. A fornicating church member had pursued in his uh, immoral lifestyle relentlessly, and the apostle rebuked the Corinthian congregation for not having 
removed themselves or removed fellowship from the man in question. Now, Paul declared that the brother should have, quote, been taken away from among you, delivered, quote, unto Satan, and, quote, put away, verses 2 and 5 and 13 of said uh, epistle. So further, which uh, further, the article says, with such a one company, quote, was not to be kept. You see, the fraternization of a common meal was forbidden, verse 11. This instruction is quite explicit. You would really have to manipulate the text, pervert the text out of its context to make it say something that it is not clearly saying. The, the pattern, the example. And Paul, of course, I'm speaking, of course, now out of the article, speaking uh, things uh, uh, the scriptures reveal uh, upon Paul as a man directly endowed by the Holy Spirit. He is governed by God. And when he wrote this information, it was inspired information. It's the penmanship of the Holy Spirit. And we are wise to learn how to interpret the text according to the author's intent in our lives, not according to our own selfish desires, because that indeed is the cavity found within the pharisaical type. They find themselves searching the scriptures to justify uh, their unrighteous practice of discipline. So the article continues. We read, the inspired, the inspired Paul commanded the church in Thessalonica to, quote, withdraw from every brother who persists in walking disorderly, thus contrary to divinely received traditions. You can find that in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6. Such persons, says Paul, are to be identified and socially company with them is to be, and, and social company with them is to be severed, right? Withdrawn from. Excommunicated brethren, of course, are not to be treated harshly. Rather, they are to be admonished in a brotherly fashion. Uh, verses 14, 15, and you can also compare that with Galatians 6, 1. Typically, in our experience, the Pharisaical type, the Diotrephes, if you will, those who hijack verses about church discipline for their own selfish ambitions to split churches, to take control, and to intimidate, and all these things, um, these types, they'll do so, but there is no kindness to it. There is no love. Uh, it is... Uh, very cold-hearted, it is very dry, and it is immediate. There is no pleading, there is no passion, there is no um, contact to the fact that, hey, we love you so much, can we just work this out? Uh, please, let's have a conversation about this. These types will not do that. These types uh, are not driven by God's love or the instruction of God's love in command in regard to church discipline. Again, it is for their own selfish desires, their own ambitions, their own control and their egos and, and whatnots. And, and, and sadly, uh, we've witnessed those kind of things, haven't we, throughout the many years. If you've been faithful in the church, uh, uh, that is certainly a truth. Uh, the article continues. In title, uh, in title, yeah, in title, in, in Titus chapter 3, verse 10. Inspiration affirms that a factious person, after appropriate admonition, is to be, quote, refused. In other words, refused further association, right? A, a, a factious person. That's important. These passages by no means exhaust 
the New Testament information on the subject of church discipline. They are sufficient, however, to provide ample instruction of the kingdom's responsibility in this regard. And we be wise to recognize that and to certainly uh, apply that in our local assemblies regarding a rightly handled scripture. I assure you some of these types who utilize uh, church discipline for their own advantage, hijacking the verses, if you will, to their own control. Uh, some of these are um, some of the most cunning individuals you will have ever rec uh, come to know. Uh, professional liars, uh, some of the most cunning minds, uh, wolves in sheep's clothing, if you will. They love these kind of verses to their own agenda. To push out the faithful and cultivate delinquency, embolden delinquency, with uh, flattery and, and, all, and all these kind of tactics they utilize. And that's sad because, again, that creates the, co the cowards who no longer ever want to utilize church discipline because they've seen it utilized in the hands of these evil workers. The article continues, the purpose of church discipline, the purpose of church discipline. What is the purpose in withdrawing fellowship from the disorderly? It certainly is not an act of revenge towards those who have fallen from the faith, and it must never be exercised in a haughty or malvolent. Uh, I can't pronounce that word properly. I'm a French guy speaking English words. Please, by all means, do not withdraw your fellowship from me. Malvolent manner. The scriptures do suggest, however, that discipline has both a corrective and protective function. We'd be wise to understand this, this, this scriptural truth that our brother here, Wayne, is pointing to in his article. We continue to read. Obviously, it is designed to save the erring child of God. Right? If we truly are practicing church discipline in a loving way, in a loving and passionate way, it's to save the erring child of God, our brother or our sister. Right? The heavy-handed uh, pharisaical type, the diotrophies, the, the, these types don't do that. It's not to save the erring child. I assure you, it is not. They may masquerade or portray themselves uh, with the deceiving tongue of uh, to, to make what is evil good and good evil, uh, but it, it, it's not for, for saving an erring child. There is no love in their hearts. They're very cold-hearted. And again, that causes the extreme in the pendulum for those to say, well, I've seen those types utilize church discipline to their own selfish bellies, so I'm no longer going to practice church discipline whatsoever ever and ever again. And that that in itself is sinful. So you got to be balanced. You got to be in the middle here, right? You got to be seasoned. It's designed to save the erring child of God. That's what it's for. The Corinthian fornicator was to be removed from fellowship so that he might be motivated to destroy, quote, the flesh. In other words, his ungodly fleshly passion. And this in order that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 5, 5. Discipline is designed to, quote, gain the wayward, Matthew 18, 15, to make him, quote, ashamed, 2 Thessalonians 3, 14, to the end that he may be restored, Galatians 6, 1. That's the purpose restoration, renewal. And uh, that is, of course, the thrust and purpose of church discipline. When you do not see that, when you do not witness that, friends, that means it has been hijacked 
Church discipline has been hijacked within the hands of those who have nefarious, sinister plots and agendas to destroy and divide a faithful congregation. A consideration of certain passages in 2 Corinthians leads to the, con uh, the conclusion that the church in Corinth finally did withdraw from the sensuous offender, if you will, and that such brought him to repentance. The apostle wrote, quote, This punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man. Chapter 2, verse 6, the New King James Version. But discipline is not merely for the welfare of the rebel. It is to the protection of the church as well. We're speaking now of the purpose God commands us to practice church discipline, to bring back the erring to the fold in a loving way, and also to protect the faithful fold from being infected. Right? Okay, we continue to read the article. When Paul admonished the congregation at Corinth to uh, take care of the problem of the immoral brother, he warned, quote, Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? 1 Corinthians 5, 6. The apostle elsewhere declared that those who cause divisions and occasions of stumbling, quote, by their smooth and fair speech beguile the hearts of the innocent, Romans 16, 17. We've seen that, haven't we? We've seen individual members who may have had or may be new to the fold or perhaps have a uh, immature or weaker faith be devoured by these divisive types, to be persuaded by their smooth and fair or charming speech of the scriptures. These types, these Pharisaical manipulators, they know how to utilize the scriptures in such a way to devour these, what we would commonly call, lower-hanging fruit in the congregation. And we've witnessed those things, and we've seen that in real time, haven't we? Which makes more sense to seek practice of church discipline in a faithful way, in a righteous way. The article continues, Two false teachers in the early church, Hymenaeus and Alexander, had made shipwreck of the faith, right? Hence Paul, quote, delivered them unto Satan. In other words, he removed fellowship from them, 1 Timothy 1, 19 and 20. And you can compare that, of course, with 1 Corinthians 5, 5. And this was done for the welfare of the brethren. False teaching, if allowed to go unchecked within the body of Christ, can eat like a cancer and cause the faith of some to be overthrown. You can see 2 Timothy 2, 16 to 18. Correct? Of course. And again, we tend to think um, that these types are only found outside the fold within the denominational ocean of uh, quote-unquote Christendom. No, friends, they are within the local assembly. They might have crept in through the window, secretly devised manipulative fables all the way up to now behind the pulpit into the eldership. And you have to, we have to be careful of these types. They know how to manipulate the text and have you believing them scholarly, and you will be devoured. I assure you, this is a truth that was real in the first century and yet still here today. The article continues, Discipline is also important in persevering or preserving, there's the word, preserving the integrity of the church before the eyes of the world. 
Society has bias enough against us without having the legitimate complaint that we harbor evil within our fellowship. We should never give occasion to the adversary for reviling, 1 Timothy 5.14. You see, that's the importance of uh, having a faithful congregation living according to church discipline because or practicing church discipline when applicable. And let me tell you something. <laughs> if you've been in a local congregation for 10, 20, 30 years, and you've not witnessed church discipline, uh, something's wrong somewheres, I assure you. I assure you something is wrong somewheres. Matter of fact, I don't assure you. The scriptures assure you. <laughs> don't take my word for it. Read the Bible. Okay, so we continue in the article. It is imperative that the conduct of the church be such that, quote, the name of God and the doctrine be not blasphemed, 1 Timothy 6, 1, and that the way of truth be not, quote, evil spoken of, 2 Peter 2, 2. We purposely, as the leadership here and the growing uh, uh, congregation of the East Coast Church of Christ over here in New Brunswick, Canada, want to make sure that the world out here, the community, the neighborhood, and all who listen worldwide know that we will not tolerate open rebellion, fornicators, adulterers, uh, or the self-righteous hypocrite, the pharisaical type, the diatrophies, the tyrant, the bully, the divisive brethren. Um, and that's important because when you, and, and, and we've witnessed this, you are found in a location where it is very difficult to find Bible studies, more so even difficult to have religious uh, to have religious converts to Christianity. So you are tempted to keep brethren who should have been withdrawn from a long time ago. And the community sees that. They see fornicators walk in and out of that congregation. They see fornicators participate in the activities of the church and the world, they can't discern what's going on. They are, they are right to say, well, I'm not going to go to that church. They don't, I mean, they tell us not to fornicate, but you walk in there and you find fornicators, you know, the, or, 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 or all these, that's how important church discipline is. It's to, it's to have ourselves without that reproach on our Lord and master. It's important. So the article continues and says, conduct deserving, conduct deserving of church discipline. Pay attention. Conduct deserving of church discipline. Speaking of faithful church discipline, not in the hands of both the extremes that we spoke of while we were introducing this topic, but the faithful, the narrow gate, if you will. And our brother expresses scripturally what these are. The Bible addresses this matter in several ways. Number one, a brother who has sinned against another, but who refuses to repent of his, transgress his tran transgression, could ultimately be removed from fe fellowship. Matthew 18, 15, 16, and 17. That's important. That's important. You can find yourself perhaps approaching a brother or sister, expressing to them their uh, sins against you and against many other members of the church, and they are so hardened of heart and prideful in their control that they are not submissive to understand what you are saying. So they immediately call in recruitment, recruitment that is of their own corrupt kind, and they will further seek to push you out of the church. They will not repent. And that, of course, causes uh, moments of great uncertainty and moments in which 
decisions must be made to withdraw from what you have clearly witnessed as corruption, a, 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 a corrupted trial and uh, false witnesses and things of that nature. But we must understand that church discipline applies to this uh, conduct, okay? The next one, the second one here listed on uh, from the article, those who cause occasions of stumbling and who initiate division are proper subjects for church discipline, Romans 16, 17 and Titus 3, 10. We have to recognize these types. A great many times, sadly, congregations uh, may have blind spots. So desperate for growth, we allow these kinds within the fold. And sometimes these kinds will uh, 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 utilize friendship or cultivate uh, friendship to their advantage. It's not because they are truly your friends, though they may have masqueraded that way for weeks or months or years. They uh, have an agenda and they are driven and one may have his guard down thinking these individuals or this brother or sister is indeed a trusted source and a, and a, and a close friend, uh, but truly they are not. They have been whispering. They have been the gossip. And sadly, these types could even for, uh, 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 publicly be speaking uh, against gossip, but in the shadows, right? You find them. You find them whispering in households devouring the weak and causing division where no division was found. And these types must be spotted immediately and dealt with, with church discipline. Or, again, you'll wake up uh, once the, the smoke has cleared and you'll find your families uh, divided, you'll find the church split, you'll find friend friendships uh, uh, severed. And these types will masquerade that as righteousness, but it is not. It is not at all. They, they are evil workers. And so therein, another uh, uh, justified uh, church discipline to such conduct, these, these divisive individuals. So the third one here, of course, in the conduct deserving church discipline, those who are practitioners of such sins as fornication, covetousness, extortion, idolatry, drunkenness, reviling, etc., could certainly be candidates for withdrawal, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9 and following. Individuals, some of them are very jealous. These types can be very jealous. You may be a good steward of your money. You may be a very good steward of your money. And some of these types, they don't like that because they are not good stewards of their money. They become very jealous. They become very jealous and they begin to do things and practice things, high-handedly so, that would, uh, again, cause for uh, great chaos in the local assembly. Those who are the practitioners of these things are indeed candidates for church discipline. That's important. And of course, we can understand the language here. Could certainly be candidates for withdrawal. Some individuals may stumble or struggle, but are not high-handedly living the sin. One may stumble and wake up to the fact that he or she has sinned and seek repentance and try again. This is not that. This is for those who high-handedly are the practitioners of these sinful activities. They're not going to repent. They are fornicators and they're not going to repent. They are covetous. They're not going to repent. Extortioners, idolaters, and drunkards, and revilers, they are not going to repent. This is where that conduct is deserving of righteous church discipline. We move on to the next one. Advocates of soul-threatening doctrines must not be allowed to continue 
in open fellowship with the church. 1 Timothy 1, 19-20, 2 Timothy 2, 16, 17, and 18. That, that should be understood. If an individual is going to begin to teach things that is going to lead one to eternal damnation, then yeah, righteous church discipline is certainly applicable. Another one, those who walk disorderly are to be refused association by the faithful, 2 Thessalonians 3.6. But what is disorderly conduct, the article would ask? These are those who simply grow, uh, grow weary of the Christian life and decide to, quote, resign from the church. We've witnessed those, haven't we? We've seen what that looks like. We continue to read. When approached about their neglect and warned of possible discipline, they raise a voice of protest. Oh yeah, claiming, quote, what am I doing that is wrong? I'm not committing adultery. I'm not a drunkard. The church cannot withdraw from me, end quote. An appropriate response would be, of course, quote, are you faithfully serving God? Do you meet with your brethren to sing, to pray, to observe the Lord's Supper, etc.? Are you faithful in your worship? What's within your heart, right? That, and that is the heart of the matter, pun intended. That's what's going on, what is within. It's one thing to obey the law. Okay, sure, we see you at church, at midweek studies, and at, on, 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 on Sunday morning, we see you there warming the pews, but what's within the heart? To know the law and to uh, 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 practice the law without the, the spirit, the, the, the motive of the heart, the passion of the heart for your love for Jesus, there's a, there's a cavity there. There's missing something. The article continues. What would be the fate of the family of God if every member were at liberty to do as you have done? Speaking, of course, to the individual in the conversation taking place here with one who would have disorderly conduct meaning one who is resigning from the church, right? Spiritual neglect is disorderly conduct. And a fitting response to such is discipline, of some sort at the very least. Remember, we want to restore the brother or the sister, and we want to protect the faithful in the fold. The article continues, It would be well to remember, however, that a person's disposition is frequently the determining factor in terms of when or whether withdrawal of fellowship should be administered. No wise church leadership would remove fellowship hastily, a sincere, a sincere Christian, who, through weakness, had fallen into a sinful situation. As long as there is humility on the part of the offender and a genuine effort to overcome the problem, long-suffering would be indicated. When, though, a surely rebellious attitude is evidenced, more drastic measures may be speedily indicated. When you find yourself in sorrow for what you have done, and the uh, church discipline is within the hands of a pharisaical, uh, diatrophic leadership, they're just going to beat you down. It's not about you saying sorry. It's not about you wanting to repent. It's they just want you out of there. And that is sinful. And they will pay for that on the day of judgment, though they are firmly convinced in their conscience that they are righteous bastions uh, uh, or scholars of, God, of God's word. Uh, sadly, like the Pharisees uh, thought themselves on, on that day, the day of judgment, they, they will sadly uh, be damned. And that is so tragic that that 
That should not be. That, that did not need to be the case. <laughs> uh, Judas did not need to be Judas in what he had done. Judas had been given a beautiful work, many opportunities. He had brethren to be equal with and to work with. But Judas, of course, in his greed, uh, betrayed his Lord and Master. And, uh, well, we saw what, what happened to Judas, didn't we? Church discipline must be utilized faithfully. If an individual, of course, is rebellious and is not willing to repent, and church discipline is found within the hands of righteous leadership, of faithful leadership, then the process must move forward in withdrawal. So you can see it from all perspectives here, from all cases. And we're not touching all cases, but we're giving a general brush, if you will, to, to, to the command, to, to the practice, to the church discipline. The article continues, Faithful elderships should, be, uh, should let it be known that if a person wants to identify with the congregation over which they exercise supervision, he or she will be expected to live right and to assume a healthy responsibility in the areas of Christian growth and service. Okay, If there is remiss in these matters, discipline in some form or another could be advisable. The article continues and says, how should the final act be administered? Very good question. We read on. In every congregation where qualified men are serving as elders, it naturally would be the case that the eldership would lead the church in the withdrawal of fellowship from the unfaithful. Let it be stressed, however, that removal of fellowship is not an, quote, eldership act behind closed doors. It is, an active, it is an activity on the part of the entire church, and the formalization of the procedure must be enacted in the public assembly. Paul commands the Corinthian Christians, by the authority of Christ, to deliver the erring brother unto Satan when they are, quote, gathered together, 1 Corinthians 5.4. Similarly, after the Lord gave instructions regarding the procedures for restoring the brother who had wronged his fellow, he declared, quote, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them, end quote, Matthew 18.20. And sadly again, this verse is hijacked by uh, these pharisaical types, these diotrophies types, these tyrants and bullies behind the pulpit. They will utilize that, have um, recruited their team, if you will, in order to uh, hijack this verse in an unrighteous way, but make the congregation believe it is a righteous way in order to just get rid of those who would pose a threat to their delinquencies, to their to their taking over, their preeminence among themselves, to 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 this uh, selfish am ambition and endeavor that they they have, it, it's a, it's a matter of the heart. They they have a bad heart. Their heart's not right with God, though they are firmly convinced in their conscience that they are. Uh, they are far far away from God, but in a faithful way. If a faithful leadership is utilizing uh, church discipline then this verse here, Matthew 18, 20, certainly applies and is a comfort because it is an awkward, it is a discomforting, it is a discouraging thing to sit down with a brother or sister who is sadly not willing to repent. And that, at times, more often than not, is the case. The article continues. 
Few people seem to recognize that this comforting promise is given within a context of an exhortation regarding church discipline. He would further say that Lenski has well noted, quote, since he, the Christ, is thus in the assembly of the church or present when two or three are, convic are convicting a brother of sin, it is he himself who acts with his church and its members when they carry out his word by invoking also his presence and his help. That's important. We need to kind of understand that realm. Uh, the article continues and says, Objections, or another section of the article, Objections to church discipline. Answered. And there are objections. There are objections to church discipline that must be answered. In spite of the fact that the Bible is quite clear on the obligation of Christ's church to practice discipline upon impenitent members, there are those who cavil against the responsibility even to the point of asserting that withdrawal of fellowship is a violation of New Testament principles. Some of the more common quibbles offered are, number one, no one is worthy to be removed from fellowship of one another. Well, the allegation is sometimes made that since no one is perfect, no one really has the right to initiate discipline against another. Commonly, John 8, 7 will be cited as a proof text for this idea. Quote, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. End quote. Such is a woeful misuse of this passage. Two points need to be, to be noted here. First, the Jews had brought a woman to Christ whom they claimed to have taken in the very act of adultery. They wanted the Lord to sanction her death, parentheses, thus involving him in difficulty with the Roman authorities. However, though the Old Testament law had clearly stated that both parties in an adulterous union must be executed, these Jews had brought only the woman. Hence, they had ignored the very law they pretended to honor. And such is the case, of course, of these self-righteous hypocrite types. We've witnessed these, haven't we? In leadership, behind the pulpit, Christ's statement, therefore, as quoted above, was designed to highlight this inconsistency. It cannot be employed to militate against plain commands obligating the church to discipline the wayward. This is not a, oh, here's the verse that says we don't need to practice church discipline. It just isn't, and that is dishonest. It is very dishonest. Second, the article says, Paul was not, quote, without sin, and yet he withdrew himself from evil brethren, 1 Timothy 1, 19 and 20. One does not have to be sinless in order to be or in order to honor the Bible teaching on this vital theme. Now, there are indeed boundaries and there are qualifications and there are things that must be understood in order for faithful church discipline to take place. It must take place from a faithful leadership, faithful member. The next one. Leave the tares for God, many might say, in regards to church discipline. Leave the tares for God. It's not our responsibility, right? Well, the article continues, It sometimes is contended that whereas it must be acknowledged that there are tares in the kingdom, we are instructed to leave them alone. At the judgment, the Lord will exercise his own discipline. Matthew 13, 24-30 and 36-43. In response... We must insist that no parabolic teaching can be arrayed against clear Bible instruction given elsewhere. 
This argument is like suggesting that simply because the debtor in the parable of the unmerciful servant was given or, 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 or was forgiven by his Lord with no conditions being stated, Matthew 18, 27, one may conclude that salvation is totally unconditional. The parable of the tares is simply designed to inoculate against violent and premature attempts to completely purify the church on earth. It has nothing to do with the genuine practice of brotherly discipline. J.W. McGarvey noted that this type of reasoning is, quote, in direct conflict with the teaching both of Jesus and the apostles on the subject of withdrawing from the disorderly. Here's another one you might have heard more commonly so against church discipline. Judge not. Judge not, right? Some contend that church discipline would be a form of judging a practice which the Bible condemns. The plain truth is, not all judging is wrong. Jesus declared, quote, judge not according to appearance, but judge ye righteous judgment, John 7, 24. In Paul's rebuke of the Corinthians, he clearly stated that he had, quote, judged already the incestuous brother, 1 Corinthians 5, 3. He then subsequently asked these brethren, quote, do not ye judge them that are within, chapter 5, verse 12. Church discipline does, therefore, involve a form of judging, but it is not the unjustified, hypocritical judgment that is censured by Christ in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. And that, sadly, again, was from those who were of the religious leadership, uh, the Pharisees and whatnot, the the chief priests, the elders, the lawyers, the scribes, all of them, the Sadducees, all of them. the Sanhedrin. Um, when, local, when these types hijack church discipline, that's how they practice church discipline, with these unjustified hypocritical judgments. Because again, it's not for God, it's for their own selfish ambitions. But that is one excuse that is said by those who do not wish to practice church discipline. Judge not. Well, that's um, that's that don't work. That don't work. We have to judge. We just have to judge according to God's standards, God's wisdom. The next one, where is the love? Where is the love, right? We're not going to practice church discipline because that's unloving somehow. Well, the article continues and says, it is sometimes charged that if the church withdraws fellowship from the erring, it is demonstrating a lack of love. The sickening, superficial view that so many have regarding love these days is one of the most dramatic commentaries on biblical ignorance. Very well stated from our brother Wayne. That is so true. The fact is, discipline does not repudiate love. It reflects love. Quote, those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Hebrews 12.6. And if we are paying attention as faithful, humble children of his will recognize the discipline. I know what that looks like. I've been humbled many times to recognize that I was weak in my faith, or I had sinned, or I had allowed some very corrupt, bad company within my thoughts, within the fold, within a very many places that I should have been wise to immediately recognize red flags and withdraw from. God teaches us. He disciplines us if we're paying attention, if we're humble enough to recognize it. The fact is, discipline does not repudiate love. It just doesn't. If you are a member of a congregation, the article says, which practices church discipline, you ought to thank Almighty God 
that you have the privilege of belonging to such a loving family. Another, uh, another thing, another common uh, thing people say in regards to removing themselves from practicing faithful church discipline. What about him? What about him? What about him? Occasionally, the claim will be made, quote, the church cannot withdraw from me, for there are others who are just as bad or worse, and they haven't been disciplined, end quote. Several things may be said in rebutting this r rationale, if you will. And we've, oh man, we've had to practice church discipline a great many times, sadly. And this has, this has been a common one, hasn't it? You come here and you tell me these things. Well, what about brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so? Well, what about him? And who are you speaking of? Well, I'm not going to say, well, right, you're not going to say, are you? Just because they're doing something wrong don't mean that you can do some that you're allowed to do something wrong as well. Like that argument is a hard one to sell, isn't it? Like, okay, something's wrong here. But um, all of these excuses not to practice faithful church discipline, friends, listen. The problem's deeper in the heart of the individual, of the brother or the sister. You got to go deeper. It, it, there's something deeper in there. There, 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 there. Lack of faith is deep within the individual. So the article continues. Uh, let me see here. Several things. That, uh, okay, yeah. Several things may be said in rebutting this rationale, this whole, uh, the church can't withdraw from me because there's others doing bad things, right? The first, the fact that the church may have been remiss in its duty or even inconsistent in the past does not mean that changes for the better cannot be made. No sane person would argue, quote, we were wrong in the past, let us therefore always be wrong. No. Second, the precise determination as to whom and when church discipline should be administered will frequently be a matter of leadership judgment. Some brethren may not know all the facts as to why decisions were made to withdraw from some and not from others. There may be ex, uh, extenu extenuating, there we go, extenuating circumstances that are not general information. This type of quibbling cannot be allowed to deter discipline when such is obviously indicated. Loving discipline was as much a trait of the primitive church as correct worship, organization, and so on. This question then cannot but haunt many. Can a church that utterly refuses to practice discipline truly be a New Testament Church? The answer is no. The answer is no. And that concludes the article from our friends over at ChristianCourier.com. The author, Wayne Jackson, may he rest in peace. The title to the article, Church Discipline, A Tragic Neglect. Listen, as was stated at the very beginning, when church discipline is hijacked and utilized by... Uh, the pharisaical types, the diatrophic types, these manipulators, these liars, these tyrants, these bullies, these slanderers, these false witnesses. It's not going to be properly utilized, and it's going to cause a lot of chaos. And if the and when you look at the pendulum swing too far on the other end, when it is not when when church practice uh, church discipline is not practiced at all, chaos remains there as well. So on both of those spectrums, chaos, division, hurt, sorrow, pain. But if you are seasoned and balanced and faithful, knowing that discipline is to bring back the erring and to protect the fold, it's useful. 
and it's obedient, and it is necessary. All right, my friends, that will conclude this session. We're an hour and some minutes in. I hope you have found something beneficial to your faith. By all means, consider subscribing to the channel. We go live from Monday to Friday, and we have different themes for each day. You can look at the show notes to see which theme for which day applies. And uh, on Thursdays, as we are found, it is the topical theme. So we discuss a topical uh, conversation, and you are more than welcome to send me a suggestion to something you would like for us to address or to speak about uh, regarding a topic uh, on Thursdays. If you find use in this material, please consider supporting the work. You can do so by signing up to addedsouls.locals.com. It's free to sign up. From there, you can choose to support monthly. It can be as low as you want it or as high as you want it. It helps. It really does. And it helps us move forward in uh, producing this kind of uh, material. That okay? If there's other ways you want to get involved and partake or donate or support financially, you can send me a message at itssouls at gmail.com. Check out my website at itssouls.com. You can find me pretty much anywhere. You can find at itssouls a whole bunch of places. Uh, so by all means, please do that. Stay focused. Stay positive. Be sure to um, be sure to check us out next time, Lord willing. We might go live tomorrow. Tomorrow is Friday. Friday is sociopolitical conversations. We might do that. So if so, by all means, join us there. That good? I think that's it. I feel like I'm missing something. I can't remember what it is. Anyway, we love yous. We thank you for loving us. Till next time, peace out.